welcome to another episode of The Two Old Fogey Yogis. Your hosts each week are Swami Shokananda and Reverend Pram, who between us have nearly 100 years of living la vida integral yoga. And that's what makes us Two Old Fogey Yogis. <laughs> So on today's episode, we thought, why not get to know these two old fogey yogis a little bit better? So we're gonna have fun playing kind of uh, 20 questions, okay? So Swami Ashokananda, why don't you go ahead, you can ask me a question, and then you can answer the question and we'll just sort of see where this goes. And then that way our listeners will maybe get a little better idea of just who we are as two old fogey yogis. Okay. So how about, let's start with a difficult one. What is your idea of perfect happiness? <laughs> so my idea, okay. And, and by the way, we haven't really looked at these or thought about it. So this is sort of like off the cuff, but yeah, yeah. I'll try to be thoughtful about it. Okay, so let's see. So perfect happiness. You know, I think perfect happiness for me would be twofold. I'm going to wave a magic wand and then my idea of perfect happiness would be first a wish for the world that like the earth was healed, all enmity and hatred between peoples was healed and everything was beautiful and blissful. Yeah. And then for me, Whatever would happen, I'm going to embrace the Krishnamurti statement of what makes me happy? Well, I don't mind what happens. <laughs> so I guess I'm saying perfect happiness for me would be perfect equanimity. What about you, Swamiji? Wow. I think anything that's perfect it has to be from the spiritual realm. If it's the realm of, of the three gunas of nature, uh, almost by definition, it can't be perfect. So it has something to do with me, my innate essence, which I believe, occasionally I get a little taste of it, is the equanimity you're talking about, but it's, it's uh, with this extra delicious part of this joyfulness to it. Yeah. I like that you, your first thought was about the external environment. Uh, my first thought was about me. <laughs> so I like how, how you included how things seemingly outside of me would be beautiful. Yeah, a a twofold thing. Yeah, let's see, anything else? So, yeah, so I like what you're saying about Krishnamurti's answer about just accepting everything as it is. Uh, So I, I would maybe just paraphrase it to say, perfect happiness for me is to not be caught in my reactive conditioning, my samskaras. Nice. I, can, I can observe them, but I can decide how I want to respond to a situation. I think happiness has something to do with not being caught by our mind. Love that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your greatest fear? Mm. I have to think about that for a moment. I don't think it's death. It used to be the, the common thing of public speaking. I don't think it's my greatest fear anymore. I'm going to try to express something. I'm not sure if this is accurate. But I think my greatest fear is recognizing that my separate individual ego-based life is always has an undercurrent of fear. And it finds different targets, mostly around conflict or being judged. But I think it's, it's just an innate part of my personality. Maybe it's common in people that if you scratch the surface, this alienated consciousness is fearful. It can find targets. Eventually, you have to deal with it 
by the answer to the first question, how to attune to that place in ourselves that is totally at ease. So I'm not directly answering the question in terms of greater or lesser. It's just an awareness of the undercurrent of fear. I, okay, here, I'll say my greatest fear is that I won't get comfortable outside my comfort zone. Wow. That I always want things comfortable and I'm afraid of getting outside my comfort zone. That's the most accurate thing I could say is that scares me the most, that I always have to have things my way, according to my will, otherwise I'm, I'm agitated. That's, that's scary to me. That was so profound. <laughs> I mean, everything you shared, I think, you know, you're right that there is, I think for all human beings, there is kind of an undercurrent of fear just in this sort of modern world we mm -hmm. live in, where we're so disconnected in so many ways, both from, you know, our spiritual self, who we really are, and from, you know, community, things like yeah. that. So I think, yeah. and, and I think you're right. It's just probably paired with also some biological things that, mm -hmm. you know, hardwired into us about. Yeah. Good, yeah. good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like staying, you know, to stay alive and <laughs> protect mm -hmm. ourselves and all that. But it's also really interesting what you said about your comfort zone too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it made me realize that I don't have that kind of fear because, mm -hmm. You know, in traveling with Gurudev for so many years, I was put in so many situations that were so outside my comfort zone that eventually I no longer had a comfort zone. It just stretched it like. To I saw I saw that in you. I watched that happening where you could keep your balance way outside the comfort zone. Uh, uh, you just okay. You just became very nimble and didn't succumb to fear. Uh, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't succumb to fear in the moment because I was. <laughs> So like, I'd have to be like responsive. It was like how I imagine people who work in the ER, you know, you just have to like, oh, okay, there's no microphone and Gurudev's giving a talk. Boom. What do I do now? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in every moment is like, oh, wait, um, plane is going to be five hours late. What do we do now? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. so I had to adapt, but it, it definitely took its toll. I mean, it was really mm -hmm. stressful. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting to know that uh, you handled all those situations with, I think the word is a plum, uh, but something in you got worn down by that also, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 Well, also because I never really... I didn't take very good care of myself. So I didn't give myself, you know, like the downtime or the yeah. or whatever would have helped me to be more resilient probably because I was just so focused on Oh, mm -hmm. I have to give service, you know, 24 seven. So, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I don't need to sleep. Don't worry about what I'm eating. Don't worry about this, that. But then, you know, it, it kind of accumulates over time. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Sure. Yeah. So, so do you have uh, an answer to your greatest fear? Yeah. So my greatest fear, I would have said, like you, I think I would have said before, like death. But mm -hmm. now, you know, I've really been doing a deep dive into to death and dying studies like in the mm -hmm. Tibetan Buddhist tradition and and that really helped kind of allay a lot of fears I still have a lot of I wouldn't say it's like the great fear but it's I, I get I have a lot of anxiety around body issues health and body you know and the whole aging mm -hmm. process and mm -hmm. it's probably my greatest fear because 
I spend so much time in my mind mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, would be something like getting Alzheimer's or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really a bummer. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's like a, yeah, as much a fear as I would think. Oh, my God, that would be a bummer. And, <laughs> so, and, yeah. and the fear of also having to be like dependent on others to take mm. care of me or something. Like, I don't love that idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's something I can relate to for sure. Yeah. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would that be? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> these are, <laughs> whoa, these are not easy. It's not like, okay, what's your favorite food, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's great because it really makes you think. So yeah. if I could change one thing about myself, let's see. Well, yeah, it's hard to say one thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because I wish I was more in balance with my eating. You know, I'd like to have a healthier relationship with food. I'd like to feel more faith, you know, like stronger, unshakable faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just sort of like abandonment to divine providence. That's a, that's a book title that I always loved. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, that you just could feel like, you know, like St. Francis felt mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm being carried on the wings of divine love and nothing I need to be concerned about, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's the same answer as the greatest fear. You know, I want to, if I could change one thing, it would be Krishnamurti's answer to accept everything as it is without, without, without even having to make it into a practice. It's just my natural... I would change it. Everything is unfolding and I'm observing it and whether it's labeled good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant, praise or blame, whatever way the pendulum is swinging, it's just happening and I'm getting out of my normal skittishness around. I hope it works out in a positive way for me, hopefully for others also, but at least for me, that sense that I hope everything works out for me is the one thing I would change. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, it's. I think that is amazing what you said. I think I'm going to join you on that one. <laughs> okay. Um, because I love that idea of, yeah, that whatever would happen. Yeah. Under the sun, just be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah. I sort of kind of see you like that. I am, when I think of you, the first thought that comes to mind is like, you're not immediately reactive. Like, it always seems to me that, and I've seen you in tense situations, mm -hmm. and you'll sort of get, you'll get quiet, you get kind of inward, it seems like you're sort of checking in with yourself, you're mm -hmm. kind of evaluating the situation, and then it seems like you try to have a thoughtful response to what's going on versus a reactive response. Yeah, and my good days, that's, that's how I... <laughs> <laughs> so I handle difficult situations, yeah. I think it's like you, you know, like, I, I can, in the moment, I, I could be okay, but I think it wears me down, maybe, uh, and it sticks, to, it sticks to me in some way. I don't totally let the hurt grow. Oh, yeah, I get you. Mm -hmm. So, well, like, like, you know, like you, in the moment, you really did an amazing job. You didn't have time to think. I, I, it's true, I'll take time to pause, see my reaction come up, see the best way I can, what the right response could be. Do I, do I feel I have to, you know, defend myself or do I should just let it slide? Uh, 
So uh, there's some thought process there. I think I'm getting better at it. I'll, I'll take your compliment. I think, I think there's some improvement in that area. So thank you for seeing me that way. Yeah, I, it's always really inspired me. You know, it's funny. I've had two people in my life who have influenced me sort of toward cultivating a more regular meditation practice. Mm -hmm. One was the very first person who, who introduced me to meditation. And the way that he did that was not by saying, look at me, I'm a meditator. This is so great. You know, why don't you try this and sort of like, you know, lecturing me about it or giving me some philosophy. I just noticed that there was some quality about him that was very different than qualities I had. And I tried to see like, what could it be? And I thought, you know, the only thing I can think of is maybe meditation. I'm going to try this thing. Mm -hmm. The other person would be you because I've thought about, I'd like to have that feel like you have cultivated an equanimity that I'll tend to just react first mm -hmm. and then try to sort of figure it out and make my way through it, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of think like, hmm, that's interesting. Whereas like, I've already made up my mind about the whole thing. I've got a whole storyline going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm just doing that in my head. I'm not outwardly like, you know, being obnoxious or what, you know, rude, yeah, yeah. whatever, but. Yeah, I've also seen you come a long way. So I think we have to accept that we're, we're making some progress <laughs> on this path. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, slowly but surely. <laughs> yeah, slowly but surely, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. So what do you consider your greatest achievement to date? This one's coming to me right away, which is unusual because it, it is a deep question. But uh, taking sannyas, I took pre-sannyas at 21, became a full swami at 23, and then sticking with it. You know, I wasn't always the greatest swami, but I learned lessons along the way, and it feels so such a right fit for me now. You know, not that many people stick with it. Uh, I'm, I feel it's a great achievement that I decided to choose this life or that's life chose me and I've stuck with it and I'm gonna die with it. I'm very happy about that. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And maybe for newer listeners, can you just give like a little overview of like, you know, so what is this sannyas life? Yeah, yeah. You know, when Swami Satyananda started, came to this country and started teaching integral yoga, there was a number of years went by, and then he thought to have a monastic order. And in the Hindu tradition, it's called the Holy Order of Sannyas. He didn't make us feel that we had to be Hindus, but he wanted us to commit to a life of service and the realization of, of God. In 1973, I took the pre-monastic vows, like a novitiate. And in 1975, the first sannyas initiation, there were 27 of us. And now they're out of that original group of 27, there are only seven left. That's oh. why, that's why I, I say that, you know, it's not that easy. The people who left still are great yogis and great members of our sangha. Most of them got married. Yeah, so it's a life where you're totally committed to transcending the illusion of separateness through service and your sincere yearning to realize the oneness behind everything. And that's, that's your purpose. I mean, everyone can have that purpose. Householders can have that purpose. But uh, a Swami is less distracted and fully focused on that purpose. That's so beautiful. Mm. Mm. Inspiring. That's wonderful. Thank you, Prim. How about your greatest achievement? Uh, I don't 
that was a, an achievement. What immediately just popped in my mind is the only thing that I can think of that I've done that I feel really like most grateful to have, which is something that I stuck with 24 years, and that is serving our guru as mm. his personal assistant. Mm. Yeah, I guess also, you know, many people tried it, jumped out. Uh, <laughs> probably was a hot pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, you were getting very close to a, a real blazing fire. Absolutely. Uh, and you, what a great achievement to let yourself be fried in that way. <laughs> so, you know, and I mean, obviously it was a great blessing and honor and um, incredibly fulfilling. And as great as all those things were, as, as challenging for the ego <laughs> mm -hmm. to be so close to that fire all the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But I think, you know, being of service to Gurudev, even in any small way, I feel like the smallest thing I could have ever possibly done to even, I mean, there's no way to repay, you know, yeah. anyone who, when I came to Gurudev, I basically was, <laughs> it was it for me. I was like done with life, done with the world. I had given mm -hmm. up. I uh, couldn't have been more depressed mm -hmm. and had no feeling or concept for the meaning of life who am i what is this all about just lost mm -hmm. in the depths mm -hmm. and when i think of everything that i learned and received from gurudev it was just a complete 180 so i you know i just feel like such boundless gratitude to him and that I literally feel like I would have burst into flames myself if I hadn't been able to serve him because I couldn't contain the gratitude that I felt mm. and I needed like some way to express it. So I was mm -hmm. like always seeking that almost from the moment that I heard Gurudev speak, I, I was just like, I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, he saved my life. How do we pay this man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. And so I was yeah. like always searching for a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And I th and I think he saw that and he really gave me the opportunity mm. to oh, it, be able to express that through my service to him. Mm. It looks to me that yeah, you had those 24 years. That's not a great achievement. But I don't see your life that much different now once he left the body. It seems that you're still doing that great achievement of living for the purpose of expressing your gratitude to the teacher. Do you feel he's changed much since, he, since you left the personal service? Well, thank you for saying that. No, I don't feel like anything has really changed. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I haven't like thought about that recently, but yeah, I guess that it still is the same kind of feeling. Like I still feel almost like compelled a duty to continue to serve in a way that makes him more accessible to people. In my service to him, I was trying to always make things as easeful as possible for him to do the most service he could do. So mm -hmm. that means like removing, you know, obstacles and things that were difficult and, you know, just on the logistics and physical plane, trying to really craft programs and his travel so it would just be the most easeful on his yeah. physical body 
and then to make his service that he was so willing to give as accessible as possible to the most number of people. How do you mean? How do you mean by that? So, so let's say, for instance, he was going to come to New York, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say that the Integral Yoga Institute invited him to give a talk. Right. So I would call you and say, Gurudev is able to come, you know, as right. Yeah, okay. he's able to come as per your request that he come, you know, hope try to come at least like once a year. Yeah. Um, what else can we do? Like, first of all, instead of talking at the Institute, can he speak at a large venue? So more yeah. people can come. Then are there any interviews we can arrange? Mm -hmm. Are there certain people maybe to meet who might be interested in, you know, being a part of his work in some yeah. way we can connect them? You yeah. Know? So are there devotees who, you know, really haven't had a chance to see him? Or maybe there's even somebody in the hospital he, yeah, yeah. you know, for him to visit. Yeah. I mean, you know, a drug rehab center that he can talk to. Um, yeah. So it was just always like, how can we maximize now that he's going to take this trip and come to this city? What's the most that he can do within the time that he has there? And that's what I saw as part of my service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So today it hasn't changed because when I became the director of Integral Yoga Media, I saw the mission of that department or division of Integral Yoga to be, how can we make Gurudev's teachings the most accessible to the most number of people? And that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. my yeah. motivation. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, there's some shift in the specifics of how can I make this comfortable for him personally, but right. the but the general overall mission is the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then there's also the like preserving the legacy, you know, working with the archives mm -hmm. and trying to preserve everything, you yeah, know, relating to to Guru Dev and his teachings. Yeah, I mean, to me, like if I have a request of you, like China wants to translate some of Guru Dev's works, can you get me some? possible booklets that could be translated. You know, normally if I have that request of someone, I can expect, eh, they'll get back to me about a week or so. You'll get back to me definitely that same day, if not within an hour. <laughs> it feels like you're still serving Gurudev with that level of care, seriousness, wanting to make it, make it work for everybody. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, you know, you're an instrument of Gurudev. You're trying to serve the people in China who now are just starting to learn about his teachings. Right. I, I want to serve you now to be able to <laughs> deliver to them as quickly as possible. <laughs> I know. What they're hungry for. Yeah, I'm just not used to someone doing it so quickly and so easily. And so I still think... You're still working on your greatest achievement of expressing your gratitude to the master through service. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. What, what would you say is the main thing that motivates you? I think maybe we just answered that, but... Yeah, I, I would say that's, what, that, that's the answer. That's what motivates me. It's just really gratitude is what Okay. Do you have a favorite book or favorite movie that comes to mind? Or both? I would say I'd go to a movie first because I've always had two favorite movies that have literally never changed my entire, my whole life. I've always wow. said, these are my two favorite movies. It's kind of wild. Okay, so the first would be Harold and Maude. <laughs> okay. That movie, the first, when I saw that, 
was just in a moment, I was so longing for, I was so hungry for answers, for guidance, for a guru. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't have the words for it. I saw that film and something just opened to me. Sort of like also when I saw Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, you mm -hmm. know, like just that I realized it sort of unleashed the spiritual longing that I had and the longing I had for a mentor or a guru. And soon after I met Gurudev. So that, mm -hmm. that would be number one. And then the second one, because I can't decide between the two of them because they were each so meaningful. The other one is the Wizard of, the Wizard of Oz. Okay, yeah. Because that central message is something that for all my spiritual life, I have been really contemplating and wrestling with and trying to really fathom in a sense, the idea that there's no place like home and that, that is all, you're already there. You're yeah. already home. Yeah, you yeah. never left. You just got knocked on the head, went on this journey, thinking, you know, you, you needed a wizard to answer your questions, which is ultimately what Gurudev tells us is the guru, all the guru does is lead you to the inner guru, right? Right. So that's why I, I just love that movie because I feel it's like such, it's such a magical way to convey that very deep teaching. Mm -hmm. And then as far as books, I don't think there's one book. Uh, there's been different books over the years that have been, yeah. you know, more or less meaningful. I mean, certainly the Yoga Sutras, yeah. certainly the Living Gita, you know, Gurudev's commentaries on these texts. Yeah. Um, now I'm reading a lot of Advaita texts and Upanishads and, you know, all of that. But then there's also modern day writers that, you know, are having just beautiful, thoughtful journeys and sharing those. But yeah. I would say, you know, I probably always go back to the, to the classics. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Because I know you're a big movie buff, so this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> Out of the many movies you've seen, is yeah. there really one you could say stands apart? I say there's a, there's a few in level A. Well, what's level of. what's level A? Level A would be like the top notch movies. Uh, some things I could see at least once a year. Oh, so you mean you have a repertoire of movies that you will see once a year? Uh, I don't necessarily, but I would if, okay. if it, uh, yeah. I would say maybe one, the leading one may be a film called, they're all darker than the films you mentioned and they're more and more modern. But I would say Revolver, it's a little, little known film by uh, Guy, Guy Rich, by Guy Ritchie. Oh, Guy Ritchie's film, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. uh, it's a gangster movie, but it's a, it's a, it's a story of the Bhagavad Gita and it's so powerful. Oh, I mean, I get chills just talking to you about it now. Wow, I got to see that then. It's amazing. We have to talk about it. After you see it, we have to talk about it. Who, okay. these, two, who these two guys were, who are his nemesis but teachers, you have, we have to talk about those guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so then, don't tell me the plot line or anything. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, uh, that's Revolver. Oh. Guy Ritchie, the Revolver. Not the Revolver, just Revolver. Okay. And, and uh, a film with Ethan Hawke, also a little-known film called Predestination. Predestination? Is if it an like older film? No, it's not that old. Okay. Maybe, 
maybe four or five years old. Okay. If anyone could tell me what happens in that film, I'll be so grateful. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, you don't know what happens in it, but yet it's one of your favorite films. It's so powerful. And it's so much fun to, to keep peeling away layers and layers of what's happening. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting because when you think about it, I mean, Ethan Hawke was married to Uma Thurman. Right. The daughter of Robert Thurman. <laughs> right. Who you're studying with. Right. And I wonder if maybe he was influenced in some way in making the movie. They, they were made by these two Belgian brothers. I forget their names. But uh, yeah, I think he must have seen something when he read the script and said, okay, mm. let's try this. Interesting. I got to meet him last year, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and I hung out with It was at the Virginia Film Festival. I got to hang out with him a bit as we were watching one of his films that, that was screening there and uh, just watching his reaction to it. it mm-hmm. was, I can't remember the name of the film. It was so good. Mm. Um, but yeah, he seems like a really deep... I know, I know. I'm sorry his marriage didn't work out with Uma, but... Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, up there also is, is Cloud Atlas. Gee, where do you? I got I gotta get movie recommendations from you in the future. Yeah. Cloud <laughs> Atlas uh, is uh, made by uh, the Matrix, made by by those two siblings, and uh, it's from. I, after I saw the movie, I read the book, and they did an amazing job with the movie. Did that come um, out after the Matrix? Yeah, yeah, that, that's about maybe four years old. But and, is it uh, kind of like a sequel to it, or it's really not related? Not related. Okay. Yeah, Tom Hanks is in it. Halle Berry's in it. It's a, it's a great cast. Tom Hanks has about maybe six or seven roles in it. Whoa. Yeah. And then I really like, uh, one other film I'll mention I really like is Her. Oh, yeah. Pike, Pike Jones, because I like the fact that the artificial intelligence, played by Scott Johansson, she kept evolving. She did love him. Mm-hmm. She loved him personally. But as her conscience kept evolving, her love became more universal. And he couldn't deal with that. She, she tried to convince him that she still loved him so much, but it just wasn't, it was less personal. He couldn't accept that. Yeah. And, I, and I, I like I that love- message. Yeah, I, I love the message too. And I, I when I saw the film, I said, this is it to me. This is, yeah. that that's the kind of relationship I'd be interested in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I can mention others, but I'll stick with those four for now. Okay, boy, nice picks, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what about books? books? Are you much of a reader? Are you like kind of an avid reader or? Um, I'm, I'm a, between avid and a lazy reader. I'm in the middle somewhere. Uh, I started reading novels uh, more in recent years. I never read a novel in my early days. The novel I read maybe 10 years ago that I really think is worth reading is The Legend of Bagger Vance. Oh, yeah. Isn't that also supposedly uh, based yeah. on the Bhagavad Gita? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's, he's Randolph Juna is this guy who comes back from World War I, traumatized by World War I. And uh, he, so he's Randolph Juna or Arjuna. Uh, and and, and, and Bhagavan uh, uh, is, is, is Bhagavan. Krishna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you read the book, you know, they made the movie. It's a pretty good movie with uh, Will yeah. Smith and um, Matt Damon. 
I, I really enjoyed the movie also. But if you read the book, it's so clearly the Bhagavad Gita. He doesn't oh. hide, hide that at all. Oh, so so I, it, goes, it goes even sort of more into... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. More deep into the philosophy of the Gita, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, of course, I really, I really get inspired by Gurudev's words. Uh, I still get inspired by Master Shivananda. But I would say, uh, so I'm Venkatesananda. Oh, it's yeah. someone who I really, I don't know, something about his, the freshness of his voice also really reaches me. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he was really quite an accessible teacher. A brother monk of Gurudev. Yeah, brother monk of Gurudev, yeah. That's all I have time for today. Okay. All right, well, that was great. That was great. We got up to, between you and me, we got up to question 10. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we'll do a part two. Yeah, okay. What do you think about that? Do you... I think it's a, I think it's good. I was a little bit concerned that I would need more time to think about things because yeah. they're so powerful questions. But yeah, I think I think just uh, a little thought and then just let it flow off the cuff. Uh, is I think people are going to enjoy it. I think so too, and I think gosh, that your answers are just really so profound. I just thought it'd be just sort of like meh answer. I wasn't sure how it would go, but it was so profound. It was yeah, like, yeah. Really, it was like teachings in each answer. Yeah. I felt that I felt the same from you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and will join us again for next week's episode. Please do follow and subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And for more information about everything Integral Yoga, you can go to integralyoga.org. Om Shanti.